this passage is full. Peter is, if you were here last week, Peter is basically just dumping a bag of metaphors out on the table and, and basically saying, these are all the things that you are. This is all, the, this is all you are in Christ. This is what I, I came to understand I am, and I came to understand what you are. And Peter is trying to be an encouragement to a church that is dealing with struggle. They're, they're challenged. They're, they're going through... Um, they're going through transition. This is not quite the bad part of early church history. The real persecutions of the church don't really begin um, until about 180 A.D. So, so it's still about 100 years away, 100 years and change. There's, there's little groups of people giving Christians a hard time. The Jews are giving them a hard time. The Romans are trying to figure out what they are. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, the Christians are okay on a national level, but they're dealing with, with kind of local pressure. They're dealing with people telling them what to do, what they can and cannot do. And, and Peter knows a little bit about that. And so he wants to talk to them. Now, last week we talked about the, the line um, in, in the first couple verses where he says that you are to be like newborn babes desiring uh, the milk, the pure spiritual milk that you might grow up into salvation. So he's, he, he uses that metaphor of being a baby desiring milk, the simplicity of our faith. But the second metaphor that he throws at us um, has absolutely nothing to do with that one. And that's one of the great things about Peter. Peter just basically, he just goes, you know, you're babies and you're also rocks. All right? And that's just how Peter is. It's how he talks and he throws this at us. And when we get in... Um, we get in chapter 2, in verse 4, he says this, As you come to Him, so come to the Lord, specifically come to the Lord Jesus, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. Now he's talking about Jesus there. Okay, He's not talking about us. A living stone Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves like living stones. Now, he's talking to us. You like you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone and a stum- rock, stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And we're gonna, we'll get into that phrase there at the end in a little bit. But um, let's, let's just begin with a word of prayer. Let's refocus our hearts and minds. Father, we, we do truly celebrate this milestone in John and Anna's life, their, their public declaration of faith and their devotion to the Lord and, and their desire um, to, be, uh, to be the man and woman that they, they believe you have called them to be. And Lord, we pray that as we look at your word, we would recognize in all of us the potential for that, to continue to become more and more what God desires us for, what you desire for us to be. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts for just a few moments that we might hear from you. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a strange metaphor. 
that Peter uses. A living stone. Isn't by definition that an oxymoron? I mean, isn't a stone by definition something that is not alive? And so he says a living stone. And what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about, in, in, there's a couple of different levels that this works at. Nobody's really sure what it is. But one of the things that happens in, uh, in Galilee, where he's from, there are two kinds of stone. There's volcanic stone, which is kind of up in the northern part of Galilee. And that stone is very hard, and it, and it does not change. It, it, and it's difficult to farm land that, that has it in it. And it's just a, it's, it's awful. When you go there, you, you see it. It's black, and it just lays on the ground and, and does nothing. It's stone. All right? The other kind of stone, which is in southern Galilee and more of the region, you know, western Galilee, more of the region that he was from, um, that he would have spent most of his time fishing, uh, that, that other region, the, the stone is limestone. And limestone, um, it, it, it can change and move and it can be cut and molded and so they use it for a lot of different construction. Um, and so that's probably um, what he's talking about, but it may not be. He may just simply be creating an impossible statement to catch our attention because there is nothing more impossible than a living stone. And so when they read Peter's letter, maybe the people were listening and, oh, newborn babes, yeah, we've heard that metaphor before. That's a, that's a great point. What a wonderful illustration. Good sermon. And then, then they get to the next line and Peter says, um, and Jesus is a living stone and you should be a living stone. And everybody goes, now wait a second. How does that work? That may just be what he's saying. He's trying to catch our attention. But he catches our attention to get us to understand something that we need to know about the church, about our faith, about our life. That God is building something. God is building something. What is he building? What is he building? He's building a temple, a spiritual temple with a spiritual priesthood. And this is an image that would have meant a lot to these Christians. See, let me, let me explain. If you don't know how ancient, church, ancient buildings were built, there's a very simple system. Um, basically, uh, you hired a mason to do one thing and one thing alone for you. A mason's job was to cut the cornerstone. Now, the reason that it was important they had a mason do this is because uh, masons had all of the tools to make a perfect 90-degree angle. Now, how many of you can draw a perfect square first time every time? All right? None of us, right? Um, now, we can make something that looks pretty close to a square, but then you take out the ruler and the protractor and go, oh, that was 89 degrees, this is 91. You know, this, uh, in my case, this looks more like a... Texahetahedron, you know, um, you know that the, there's all these uh, these different things. You go, it's really, really hard to do. Now, how many of you ever tried to build something and get a perfect 90 degree corner without tools? Anyone? Anyone? You guys have never tried to build something without tools. Am I really that incompetent that I have tried this? All right, I have tried this. I. You, all right, what about prefabricated furniture? You get the prefabricated furniture and it's supposed to be, you just put it together and everything will be perfect. And you put it together and you're looking at it and your wife is looking at it and your dog is looking at it and your cat is looking at it and your carpenter friends won't even come in your house because they know you're building something. 
And I may be the only person that experiences that. Um, but you, and you, or you hang, everything looks square, and then you try to hang the door, and you realize this, this is not square. All right? Um, and then, of course, you have to take the whole thing apart, and you know how prefabricated furniture is really supposed to be taken apart with a sledgehammer. Um, but uh, the job of a mason was to make one perfect 90-degree angle cornerstone. All, all of the corners had to be perfectly 90 degrees, um, square or rectangular, whatever it was. Um, and they would take that stone, that perfect uh, stone that had, been, that had been milled down to that perfect angle, and they would set it where they wanted the corner of the building to be. Well, if you know anything about geometry, you know that if you have one 90-degree angle, you can get all of the other angles to conform to it all right, and make everything square. So you got that one cornerstone, and you put it down, and then you could build out from two directions, get to the distance you needed to do, and build the rest of your building. When they were building the temple, the cornerstone became very important. Now, we're not exactly sure what happened. There's all kinds of legends that go on about this, and it probably had to do with the second, um, the building of the second temple, um, and the line appears in Psalm 118. And the line, which uh, Peter quotes here, is, Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious. Um, and then the, the line, a, st- uh, the, a stone that the builders rejected. All right? Um, that line right there. Uh, that line seems to tie to something that happened. Uh, probably, Like I said, probably building the second temple, that the cornerstone arrived, and nobody knew what to do with it, so they threw it over the edge of the valley. They said they didn't know what it was. You know, a bunch of uneducated people trying to build something, and this this stone arrives, and they go, "Well, this must be for somebody else." You know, spare parts, and they throw it. Um, and then later on, all the masons show up to build the building, and they go, "Okay." You ever had a mechanic do this to you? All right, so where's the part that I need? Oh, you needed a part? You know, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's what happened, and so so this this. It's whether it really happened or not. That's the that's the story that that comes into Psalm 118 is this idea of a, the cornerstone being rejected. So that's what he's talking about there. But what God is doing is God is building a spiritual temple, and in order to build a spiritual temple, and that spiritual temple, because it's spiritual, it can be any manifestation that we're talking about. That spiritual temple could be the church. That spiritual temple could be your family. That spiritual temple could be your life. It could be your recovery from a sin. It could be overcoming your addiction. It could be restoring a relationship. It could be starting a new relationship. Um, It could be a blended family. It could be a a nuclear family. It could be, I don't know, a nuclear bomb. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever it is that God is building in your life, Peter wants us to understand the only way we get all the angles right is if Jesus is the cornerstone. If he is the, the one thing that determines all of the angles, all of the, the, the build-out, all of the, the weight-bearing, all of those things, it all comes from whether Jesus is our cornerstone. Uh, now, I know this sounds ultra-simplistic, you know, but this is true. 
For Peter, he spent his whole lifetime getting himself out from underneath, making him less and less himself the foundation of his life and more and more seeing himself as the living stone that God is using to build a spiritual temple. And he's using all of us to build something, to build many things. But we have to start with Christ. We have to start with seeing him as he is. Let me ask you a question, something to think about. When Peter first met Jesus, did he see Jesus as he truly is? And that's just a, it's a question. Think about it. When Peter first encountered Jesus, did he see Jesus as he is? Now, I believe that Jesus saw Peter as exactly what he was. But how much of who Jesus would, uh, who, who Jesus was did Peter really understand the first time he met him? The first time he interacted with him? Now, as Jesus is trying to, as God is trying to build this temple, I want you to understand one other thing about it. The temple, that spiritual temple, whether it's your family or your work or your life, or your relationships or your, your faith or whatever it is, it's built of living stone. What does that mean? I think this is what Peter got, what he understood. He understood living things are unpredictable. Living things are dynamic. Living things are, 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 um, are there and they are consistent. You know, we, we know what makes a human being, right? I mean, you don't need to take an advanced anatomy class to know a human being has certain components that make them a human being. All right? If it has a trunk, big ears, eats grass, and lives in Africa, it is not a human being, it's an elephant. Okay? Um, if it is spotted and has calves and chews the cud, it is not a human being, it's a cow. All right? um, these are not complicated ideas, right? But every single human being is different, are they not? Even when you look in the mirror and say, man, I'm a lot like my dad, you're still not your dad. You're still not your mom. You know, and some of you are going, Whoa. others of you are going, oh, you know, I really want to be them. You know, uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. You have to understand every single human being is different. We are living stones. We are extraordinarily dynamic. And what God is building is not something static, something dead, something... Uh, I almost said solid, but that's not the word. It's something that is, that is um, inert. See, so many people want your faith, your life, your, your plan, your journey, the, God's vision. They want it to be something dead that can be explained, understood, outlined, dissected, and handed on. But the reality is that what God is building in you and in your relationships, it is dynamic and it is changing and it is extraordinary and it is spiritual and it is confusing and it is frustrating and it is celebratory and it is depressing and it is every single emotion and connection and thing in between, above, under, and in the fourth dimension. God builds of living stone. Of living stone. Why does this resonate? Why does this idea resonate with, with Peter? 
What is it about his life and his experience that tells him that we need living stone? You may remember this a moment. It's in Luke chapter 21. When they're standing at the temple and one of Jesus' disciples says to him, he says, look at the, the temple. By the way, the word temple in Hebrew is the same, uh, the word uh, big house, king's house, halak, uh, hakalah, um, yeah, you don't care. Um, it's the same word, all right? The God's house, God's temple, God's palace, all the same idea. And they look at him and they go, they go, Jesus, look at this. Isn't it extraordinary? And Jesus says, yeah, he says, one day there's not going to be a single stone standing on, on top of the other. Now, I've been to Jerusalem. I've seen the stones that the Roman soldiers threw over the edge that smashed into the pavement below the Temple Mount. They've uncovered them. They're, they're there. And, and you say, well, how do you know they're the stones? Okay, the thing about Israel, when somebody says this is probably this, it's because Israel's a really small place. So if there are giant stones that smashed into the sidewalk on the side of the temple, probably the stones, all right? Um, but this, they, Jesus looks at him and he says, you know, these stones, they're not, not one of them is going to be on top of the other one. Now that hadn't quite happened yet, but I guarantee you that Peter took that lesson home because what does Peter mean? The stone, the rock, Right, Petros, the little rock. And he's just thinking about it and processing it and thinking about it and processing it and realizing that that temple, that sacred place in Jerusalem, it was dead. It was inert. It was isolated. It could be attacked. It could be besieged. It could be broken down. It could be destroyed. The... the it was, just, it was just rock assembled, rock cut and assembled into something. But if God was truly building something spiritual, if He was building something living, if He was building something dynamic, then maybe that's what Jesus meant when He said, that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. It's something spiritual. It's something living. It's something dynamic. It's something extraordinary. It is a full range of human experience and emotion that makes up the church. The church is not supposed to be dead. The, your life and family life is not supposed to be dead. It's supposed to be the, the, it's changing and living and alive and always growing and expanding. You say, that scares me. I do not like unpredictable. And if you're like me, I don't like surprises. I, I don't, I'm not a surprise person. I do like the unpredictable. The unpredictable makes me laugh. All right? when, when, silly, when my daughter comes up with some silly observation that makes no sense whatsoever, and yet at the same time is the most intelligent thing I've heard all day, I just laugh like a moron. Um, but you know what? The reality is life is unpredictable. Faith is unpredictable. Your family is going to be unpredictable. Your relationships are going to be unpredictable. We need to embrace the fact that there is a living stone. That there are living stones making up this temple. And that things aren't always predictable. Things aren't always, compl- aren't always um, easy. The church is a spiritual reality expressed in physical terms, lived out by real people. It is dynamic and extraordinary. It is simple, but it is not easy. 
And I would tell you this, when we try to push it into a static form, it resists and it fights because life wants to be. One of the worst things that we could ever do, and and I'm going to preempt this by saying this, um, your children need to understand discipline and appropriateness, okay? So I've said that. Everybody heard me say that, right? Okay, you heard me say that because you know something something bizarre is about to come out of my mouth, all right? Um, Your children need to understand discipline and appropriateness, but let me tell you something else. Your children need to be able to express the life that Jesus gives them. Sometimes we, 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 we look at things and we say, you must do it this way. And yes, it's frustrating when your child wants to do something that involves one step by employing 83. All right? Um, but my daughter has taught me that sometimes I do that too. So, you know. But the reality is sometimes we, we rob the joy and the expression and the living, the life and happiness of our children. And, and sometimes we do it to adults Because we say, and I'm not talking about immaturity here, okay? You understand the difference between joy and immaturity, all right? Immaturity is somebody says something, it could be taken the wrong way, snicker, 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 all right? Uh, Joy and expression and and life and exuberance, that's just who we are. Life wants to be. Life wants to be active. Life doesn't want to be stuck in one place. And having said that, it's 120 degrees in here, so why don't we close with a word of prayer? Father, help us to be living stones. For some of us, we, we, we have buried the good with the bad. We have taken the things that make us unique and different and unusual, unexpected and beautifully, extraordinarily jumbled together. And we have buried them because we, we're afraid Father, some of us have, have sin that is entangled in our lives. And, and we are not able to, to live the joy of our lives because there's sin woven into those joys. Help us to accept our responsibility for our sin, to seek true repentance, to cleanse it out of our lives, and embrace the joy of being living stones. Father, help us, like children, to live. To simply live. To live as Christians. To to ask good questions. To explore extraordinary avenues of growth and strength. To plumb the depths of our weakness so that we can see the, the height of Your grace. Father, I pray for every family represented here people that have been married for for decades and people that have been married for for just a little while, everybody in between. Lord, I thank you for the extraordinarily complicated relationship of husbands and wives that push us and bend us and stretch us. Lord, we thank you for every child who, who asks questions that we never think about. That, that push us to know the full breadth of what it means to love. What it means to, to, to look, to hope, to dream. 
Lord, help us to balance wisdom and exuberance. But help us to live. Thank you so much for the extraordinary, unpredictable things you do in our church. Father, you blow us away sometimes with the generosity you express through people. You blow us away by the, by the transformations that occur in the lives of those that some have given up on. You blow us away by the depths of the darkness we experience when we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But always you are building something. Always we are living stones in your hand as you build a temple for your grace and glory and praise. And so, Jesus, until you come, help us to live for you. I pray this in your name. Amen. My brothers and sisters, go from this place and be the church. Be the church in places that don't want to hear. Be the voice of the gospel in places that don't that know only darkness be light. Go and sing and rejoice and celebrate and mourn and weep and struggle and triumph and do all of those things knowing that Jesus is making something in you and you're a living stone. My brothers and sisters, go in grace.